leadership in cybersecurity isn't just about understanding threats. It's about leading a team to navigate them with confidence. At CPF Coaching LLC, we specialize in taking your leadership skills to the next level. With over 15 years in the cybersecurity field, we empower professionals and startups to reach unprecedented heights. Imagine having a personalized coaching experience tailored to your unique career ambitions. From strategic planning to masterful pitch and interview preparations, we're here to guide you through every challenge. Join us for our unique value proposition workshops or dive into our vibrant learning community for continuous skill advancement. Don't just be a part of the industry. Redefine it. Visit cpfcoaching.com for more information. Discover the leader within. Contact CPF Coaching LLC today and schedule your strategic session. Hey, security peeps, we're live and back with another edition of Breaking Into Cybersecurity. I am Renee Small, cybersecurity super recruiter, helping awesome candidates get into opportunities and wonderful leaders hire great talent. I am here with two amazing people. First, my co-host, Chris. Say hi to everybody. Hey, everyone. Senior security consultant and co-host of Breaking Into Cybersecurity. That's right. And we're here with a popular woman today, Naomi Buckwalter. Say hi to everyone, Naomi. Hey, everyone. I'm popular now. That's cool. <laughs> Very popular. So Naomi posted, has been posting on LinkedIn, and her posts are getting, if you haven't seen it before, they are getting like tons and tons of views. I know I know. I saw one that was like thousands um, of views and comments because she talks about a couple different things. And then she was just recently on the Defense in Depth podcast that I haven't listened to yet, but I know it's going to be probably just as, as good as juicy as this one, talking about junior cybersecurity talent. And since this is breaking into cybersecurity, you know, first we're going to start with Naomi's career, how she got to where she was and where she is now. And then we're going to start talking about, you know, how we can as collectively as a community get more entry level roles in, how more people can get into the field, all that stuff. So, Naomi, can you start off by telling us about how you got into the industry? Yeah, great question. I get this a lot. I like to tell a story that I was a complete noob when I was a developer back in 2003. And I took a class in um, penetration testing just as part of my kind of growth as a developer within the company is called Vanguard. And I had no idea that this thing was even part of like the world. I was like, what is penetration testing? What is hacking? I had no idea. And um, I actually found the team within the company that does penetration testing. And I went up to the hiring manager probably just in the middle of the day. And I just walked right up to him and I said, you need me on, my, on your team. You just do. And I had like absolutely no, no experience. I, I just had kind of like this moxie and this like, oh, I was completely, I uh, know I had way too much confidence, way too much confidence. That's what you have to do. <laughs> and um, I go up to him, Tony Kaneki. Hey there, if you're listening, uh, I went up to him and I said, you need me on your team. Um, and he goes, well, I actually don't have any positions open right now. And I said, oh, that's that's too bad, but you still need me on your team. So what are you going to do about it? So he said, well, I'll create an opening for my team on my team for you if you do all these things that I'm going to tell you to do, which is get smart on penetration testing tools, get smart on uh, OWASP, get smart on all the different techniques on exploits and stuff. Uh, especially for application security. I'm like, okay, done. And so about two or three weeks later, uh, I got an interview. I, I must have passed it. And uh, now I'm doing security full time. And that was, I want to say in 2006. So that was the first time 
Yeah, first time ever getting into security. I love that. Wow. And Richard Barilla Richard says it best, Moxie. Like just having <laughs> that confidence to say, you need me on the team. What do I need to do to get here? And I tell people that we talk about this, Chris and I talk about this all the time, that sometimes, you know, it's creating that opportunity, it's being inside the company that you're already in and pivoting within versus trying to get something on the outside. So, okay, awesome. So um, George says, this is a great topic and he's been looking forward to it. So we are totally looking forward to, <laughs> to all of this. So, um, and then Andrew says here, no such thing as too much confidence unless it bridges the gap into arrogance. True indeed. So, Naomi, I have a question for you. Yeah. Being on the developer side and being on the security side, um, how does that help your role right now? Oh gosh, it's it's so helpful. I could speak the same language as the engineers. I can walk right into a stand-up meeting and uh, tell them and give them prescriptions on things that need to happen in terms of application security, and it helps so much to be able to speak that language. It also helps that I have degrees in computer engineering and computer science, so it's, <laughs> that definitely helps. Um, but being a developer and having that experience is completely uh, such a benefit for me to be able to bridge that gap between what I'm saying and um, building advocates over on the engineering team, yeah. It's so powerful. And, and yeah. such a one of the skills is so so uh, tends to be rare um, in the industry. Software engineers that move over, developers that really understand you know the security of building, um, and it's one of those skill sets that you know I'm in the process of searching right now, and it's so it's a tough tough search to get um, people who are doing that. So. Naomi, talk to us. So I want to jump into the discussion. So you made a couple of posts that have been awesome. There was one post where you talked about, you know, there was so you didn't understand why um, there wasn't there wasn't enough junior um, security roles out there. And I think you made this post maybe about a, maybe a month or so ago, maybe a month, between a month and six weeks ago, you talked about having all of this work that you could easily hand over to a, a junior person. Um, and if others, if other leaders had the same type of work that they could hand over to a junior person. And so it, it started, it sparked this discussion. So talk, talk about that. Talk about that <laughs> comment. Talk about like all the discussion that has been had because this is all we deal with on breaking into security. Yeah. I hear you. And thanks for everyone who's been posting and engaging with my comments. I basically just post things that I care about and I really want to hear other opinions on just to kind of gauge to see if I'm crazy or not, which in a lot of cases I might be. Um, but I mean, I have, I have a really long list of things that I hate doing, honestly. And as a security person, I'm sure other people have the same list. And it, you know, at the top of that list is vendor security questionnaires. Those are God awful and they're all over the place and, and they're just totally terrible. Um, but other things that I've always wondered about were things like PII discovery or log analysis, um, cleaning up asset management, stuff like that, which is, it does not take a super security person to do. And uh, one thing that we don't really address is the elitism. Elitism, am I saying that right? Mm -hmm. um, in yeah. cybersecurity. Uh, and sometimes we like to protect ourselves and I get it. We like to keep ourselves uh, needed within an organization. We like to uh, make make people think that we're super smart, but there are parts of our job that don't require that level of uh, expertise in um, those junior level roles. I don't see them very much. I wish we, we would have more. And that's the kind of stuff that would fit 
very well within those junior level cybersecurity roles. Yeah, I agree 100%. I, I mean, I was in a, I was in a, I was a junior cybersecurity person at a point in time. And the, the leader who was so instrumental in bringing people over, he brought over people from all different walks of life because he understood that everything was not that complex. You didn't need an engineer for every role, like the operation stuff, stuff that nobody else wanted to do. Yeah. That's the stuff I did. <laughs> you know, it was fascinating <laughs> for me. It was interesting for me. A ton of people don't like putting together PowerPoint presentations. They don't want to do, you know, the threat intel. They don't want to do that stuff. They are, you know, in the lab or doing incident response or doing other things. And there's so many other pieces to that, yeah. um, to, to that opera, especially the operation side that it, it can easily, um, you know, go over to a more junior person. So I'm with you hundred percent on that. Have you had any struggles with, um, creating some of those roles within the organization, dealing with budget, dealing with other um, resource conflicts to enable those opportunities to be um, under your control? Yeah, headcount is such a struggle, especially in the pandemic, right? You're basically asking for someone's left arm at this point. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, I have, I have a cyber, I'm not a cyber, but I'm an IT junior level person right now. And since IT and cyber are kind of mixed together in a single team, I'm able to give him junior cybersecurity work, uh, like asset management and PII cleanup. Um, so I really haven't asked beyond what I have right now. I'm kind of scared, but uh, hey, Rich, if you're listening, I could always use an extra headcount. <laughs> Give me um, uh, more people. Give me more people. Um, yeah, I mean, but I get it. Sometimes security is seen as a cost center, and it's my job to convince the business otherwise. I'm not doing my job well if I can't. So I actually have what I call security advocates sprinkled throughout the organization. I don't need them to be reporting directly to me. I have friends in the business, you know, and how rare is that to have, like, security person actually be liked. Um, at least that's what I'm hoping. <laughs> uh, so I have friends in HR, I have friends in engineering, I have advocates who push for security, so I don't have to be the one who does it. And it makes my life so much easier. And it makes security as part of the culture here at Entergage and something I'm super proud of, actually. No, that's phenomenal. We had a CIO on a few weeks ago, and he talked about that in particular, saying, you know, I was like, there's always seems to be a budget challenge. Talk to us from a CIO level, you know, when most or CT, you know, CIO, CT was a CIO and I think had been a CTO as well. And he talks about it being a cost center. So he kind of like reiterated what you said and saying, you know, it's keep the lights on most of the time, you know, and so you have to kind of explain why you need more or why, you know, what you need this budget for. Um, and I think that's so important for security not leaders per se, you all get this, but sometimes the people underneath that might not fully understand like, hey, why, you know, what's going on here? Or why is the, the role priced the way it is and all these various things and it, it, it kind of comes to that. Um, so Kunal asked a question. He said, there are opportunities in industries, but most of them require clearance. And as a foreign student, how do you find more opportunities which provide sponsorship like H1Bs? An answer for him. Yeah, I actually mentor uh, quite a few number of international people, well, I guess people in the world, not just um, people in the United States. We are, think we're such a great country. Anyway, uh, so yeah, I actually work with plenty of people who would love an H-1B. 
Um, and I give them the same advice that I normally give to any people that I ever talk to here in the States, which is work really hard for it because it's not going to come easy. You have to doubly work hard as an international because there will be language barriers and culture barriers that you have to overcome. So I try to give them uh, just a little bit of tips on what American companies and how we deal with, uh, you know, different what we expect from different types of people and what we expect to see in our professionals, you know, don't be too humble, but don't be too arrogant. You know, there's just that fine line. So there's a little bit of cross training sometimes that I do give to those uh, international folks. Perfect. So John Montgomery says the right mindset, that's what it takes. Don't be afraid to push. Talking about your moxie before. George says junior roles free up more time for the senior security officers to concentrate on projects to protect the organization's IT infrastructure. Amen. Um, somebody else here says impressive. Everybody knows you're a firecracker. Andrew says the most critical attribute to being successful in cybersecurity is passionate curiosity. For your, for your security advocates, do you ever um, encourage that as a way for them to transition over to security if they do become interested? Because yeah. now they, they can influence the security within their current role, but they also know how to um, bring that over to the security role, kind of like you did with devs. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's actually one of the ways where I started too, because right before I transitioned full time into the security team, I was something called a field security architect, which is an advocate within my development team that actually said, hey, don't forget, we have all these security processes that we have to follow. So I was the advocate, even though I wasn't full, full time on the security team, I was able to come up and say, hey, here are the really cool things the security team gives us. Here's all the tools and techniques and all the SDKs and libraries that we can use. Why don't we use them? Um, and so I'm trying to do the same thing within my business, which is let's just get one or two key people within each business unit and get them to sing the praises of security and the benefits of it. I also like how you talked about um, people liking you in, in other areas of the business and the business liking you because the CIO that was on, Bernard, he talks about likability. I've just been reading this book, Brian Tracy, talking about the value of likability. And I think that, you know, it's going to start coming up more and more how important that is because, you know, people do business and do things for people they like, trust. You know, it just goes back to that over and over again. And um, I just want to reiterate that because sometimes people feel like, oh, I'm the smartest person in the room and, you know, everyone has to listen to me. And we all know that's not the case. Uh, Stephen Owen says, how strong is your relationship with your CFO? And his follow-up point is one of the secret benefits of shift left is shifting the accounting left. Yeah, so smart. <laughs> um, actually, our, my CFO is uh, part of my steering committee, my information security steering committee, which every good information security program should have. So that's the governance structure we have. We actually have our CFO, the CEO, and the CTO, and the VP of HR, and myself, and we discuss information security risks and business acceptance uh, every single month. And we talk about all the new external risks out there, all the exploits, all the fun things. Like we'll go over the Twitter hack and stuff like that. And um, the CFO is right on the same page with me. We, we, we even have separate one-on-ones where I explain to him the different business risks that are out there. Uh, and not just information security risk, but also things like privacy risk and things that the business will care about because it can affect us. Yeah. So yeah, I would say pretty close. We, uh, personally, I don't really get along with him, but I would say professionally. <laughs> hey, Mitch, how are you? <laughs> In terms of likability, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I would I would say likability itself, just going back to that topic, it, it was a real struggle for me. If you knew me even 10 years ago, you'd be like, wow, what a 
what a bee, right? Like she would not made a lot of friends. Um, and I realized it was hurting me. It was just um, not the way to do my job. I wasn't effective. People would leave me out of meetings. They would just hide security issues um, it's from me. So that's a problem in security, honestly. Like we really need to look at ourselves and figure out why we are so unlikable. Um, and we don't really talk about this, but it's one of the elite, the elitist mindset. You know, you have to have, be in college for a certain thing or you have to have a certain cert for a certain job. Um, all of that is just making this narrative, this false narrative that just says security is somehow better than the business that we serve. And it's actually the opposite. We are, we are a service for the business. We should not in any way be leading the business into making them make choices that are bad for the business. So when it comes to likability, you have to first convince somebody else on the business side that you are there for them and that you're gonna make decisions in the best interest of the business. And again, you are not the cart leading the horse. You are a service for the business. We are a service for the business. And so being likable is just part of that. It's like, hey, I'm here for you. And if you decide not to listen to me, well, that's a business acceptance that right. you're gonna have to do. <laughs> so, right. yeah. It's a business decision. And um, Shanice, I mean, all these comments that come in through are exactly what I would say. So I'm just going to repeat what they're saying. Shanice says, agree about likability. Definitely need to build advocates throughout the company. Uh, Steven is saying, agree, don't be a cop. That comes up all the time. Like security is the no people. They're the cops. You can't do this. You can't cross the street. He says, be more like a personal trainer. (laughs) (laughs) And I love your approach to helping the business because you have to help them achieve their business goals because without them there's no need for security because there's not a business to protect yeah, exactly uh and you're not trying to make any money that that business is already trying to you're trying to save the money for them yeah totally yeah i like steven's absolutely. answer i think he might work out hey steven <laughs> awesome he's coming on this show he's amazing um, there's someone here <laughs> that's plugging. They, they're looking for a job. So I don't know who this is, LinkedIn user, but connect with Naomi. Um, from the research I've been doing, it seems like the lack of junior positions have to do with cyber positions requiring skills that are not that of junior junior positions. The skills needed for cyber need to be established before entering any cyber domain. So that kind of leads us into the whole job description dis- discussion and, you know, this overqualified, you know, this, this souped up job description this asking for everything under the sun. Um, tell us your thoughts on that. Yeah, I'm surprised there isn't a service or something or a website that like, you know, takes a look at your job description and gives it a rating based on how terrible it is. It's like <laughs> this job description with 50 different requirements, you get an F. That's a terrible job description for that role. <laughs> like a part of me wants to create a tool that just says, Upload you know who has one? Who? Cyber SN. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. They have that. something. Daydree, where are you? <laughs> they have going on. They do. Okay. That really makes a simplified, um, job description yeah i mean so i mean i understand you want to you get the one headcount a year right guys you get one headcount i'm going to throw everything i can on this piece of paper for this job rag and hope that i get this unicorn yeah they don't exist i mean they do but they're going to ask for like two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year (laughs) something ridiculous (laughs) um so i mean what what i always suggest people doing here is try and convince the business that you do need the headcount, um, but use it in strategically. So you don't want to go in guns blazing and say, hey, this year I'm going to have one person that does all these things. You're going to try to get maybe 
two or three people who does smaller subsets of this, but you're going to share out that headcount with maybe another team. So you're going to say, you know what, I would love to share my headcount with the engineering team or with the legal team or anything else like that. What do you guys think about that? You know, obviously you're going to still have that report to you, but you're going to be able to, you know, spread that love around a little bit. And I kind of feel like the business loves that. Sometimes you're like, yeah, you know, you get more bang for the buck. It also helps get uh, security spread throughout the organization. Like I said, advocates are great. And uh, building the skill set of your junior level people and anybody actually who works for you is going to want to do that and be like, hey, I'd like to do more than just the the one or two things that I do on the security team. I want to do more across the business. Yeah. Plus, from a resiliency standpoint, having more headcount helping you out is always better than just having um, one point of failure that if they, they're sick, they quit, whatever the situation might be, now you're left in a lurch versus if you had two or three people uh, that you can scale back on. Oh, yeah, totally. I agree. So um, Andrew says, I see as a fundamental failure in HR and cybersecurity leadership, there should be a plethora of junior positions available that don't have stringent technical skill requirements that typically only seasoned professionals would possess. So. Mm. Yeah, I think that comes back to what Naomi was saying. Um, One of the ways around that, um, and it leads back to the last comment with uh, having the skills needed to enter the domain. If you look at the way that uh, NICE breaks down the cybersecurity domains and the skills and competencies required within those domains, you can easily create a job description that is geared towards someone just coming in the industry and setting proper expectations for that job level versus trying to uh, scale everything into it. Oh, look, someone just mentioned nice job roles. (laughs) (laughs) And we said the same exact point. Why not match to nice job roles? That's what we job seekers use to figure out where we want to go in cyber. So yeah. It's a great framework for sure. But unfortunately, HR and recruiters don't use it. They just do their own thing, apparently. Um, So, you know, I challenge any recruiters and HR folks who are listening in. um, The NICE framework for security roles is a great start if you are looking for to fill a specific position. Uh, Use that and just basically copy down all the different skills underneath the the job role. So, Yeah. yeah. And I would uh, implore, as an HR person, back to the leaders to do the same thing because Yay. HR people typically don't know what you want. <laughs> We're the person in between doing the recruiting, so we have. Except for you, Renee, you're great at it. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm special. <laughs> but for everyone else out there, <laughs> Chris is like, yeah, special, special. For everyone else that's out there. Um, you know, the HR folks typically, and I and I say this as an HR person that has mostly worked in larger, you know, the Fortune 500 type organizations and support them, you know, with the business that I have. And then a handful of small companies, but um, in the larger companies, typically the rec ends up to us last. So we are all the way at the end. It gets the approval from, you know, finance, the leadership, all that stuff. And by the time it gets to us, it's a baked um, job description. Now we push back and say, hey, folks, you know, do you really need this? Is this, what is an SCISSP? What is a, you know, like usually an HR person has no idea what any of that stuff is, um, especially if they're juggling multiple different roles. So if they have different roles in IT, some Java developers, some AI people, some of this, some of that, and then you come with your security architect, they're like, what is this? So, you know, having that, having the, the leader really 
understand that framework, really have a clear understanding of what they truly are looking for um, is always very, very helpful. Um, okay, some more comments, tons of comments today, Naomi. I knew this was gonna be spicy. Uh, John Montgomery is, is telling people to attend conferences and meet people looking for local, uh, look for local security groups to talk to and meet. Even early in your learning, start giving back. That will get you noticed. That's so, so important. Even if you, uh, you've you been in the, in the game six months, you can reach back to the person who's brand spanking new. Yeah, yeah I, I, I would say, I, oh, sorry, Chris, go ahead. I was going to say, with regards to giving back, um, I had someone reach out on one of the Slack channels and um, they were interested in cyber threat intelligence and they were looking for ways to stand out from the crowd. And I was like, well, what about writing a blog on the cyber threats that you saw and how they would impact the business? And that was like, whoa, I never thought about that, but that's a great way to uh, show that you can pull all the needed pieces together, as well as that you can write in a way that's impactful for the business. Yep, absolutely. Uh, let's see, more comments. Um, and I don't know who this person is, but somebody says, I completely agree with Andrew Aiken, but they've been working on gaining skills to make their way into cybersecurity. So this is another person trying to break in. And I look at job descriptions for junior positions, the requirements are nothing that anyone starting out would ever have. So one of the posts that were out there recently, it's hilarious that um, some someone made a play on like a job description and they asked for three PhDs, they asked for multiple masters, you know, 20 years of experience in like Amazon Web Service or 25 years, stuff that just wasn't around back then, you know, and it was a running joke. And what made me literally, I think I was drinking coffee or something, made me spit it out laughing is that someone said, would other lifetimes count? Like, it's so ridiculous. Like, you would have to have three or four lifetimes <laughs> to be able to accomplish this stuff. And it's true. It's, like, so ridiculous, some of the stuff that you see out there where what Naomi just described, you know, people, managers, you got, you got one shot, you throw everything in the, everything in the job description. So, Naomi, with, one of the things that we talk to people about is, like, even if you think you have, you know, 50% of the experience to apply. What, what are your thoughts on that? Oh man, do it anyway. Apply to all the jobs. There's nothing stopping you except for you. And at the same time, if you're getting a lot of rejections, like look at yourself, maybe you're a little weird. You know, let's just, let's just think about this sometimes. I do a lot of mentoring and, and I, I just go right to him. Like, you know what, your, your personality is great for one-on-one -on -one speaking. But when you're trying to sell yourself, you need to like make eye contact. You need to like nod and smile. You need to do some basic stuff to get people like to actually notice you. You're not just a fly on the wall. So um, a lot of it really is just kind of personality sometimes. When it comes down to skills, let's just talk about that too. Um, you're, no one's ever gonna get 100% of the things unless it's a perfectly written job spec. But what you wanna do is at least try and, and try to get a little bit of each thing that they're asking for. Maybe go out and learn something about a particular um, a tool or try to integrate something, build something. I always tell people, to create a home lab and break stuff, get people to give you their broken things and fix it, uh, do basic IT support, that always, always helps. Uh, and integrate security into your own life. So if you yourself don't know to use a password manager, to turn on 2FA, to use a VPN, all these basic things that a security person already knows how, you know, educate yourself. There is nothing stopping you except for yourself. And when you see a lot of rejections, you know, kind of take a step back and be like, maybe it's me. Maybe I need to improve myself. So always keep learning, always keep striving for that and fulfill that thirst for knowledge. Self-reflection is key. Yeah. 
Sorry if I insulted anyone there. Like, you're weird. (laughs) (laughs) We're all weird. (laughs) Savarus asks, is it better to move into blue and then red, the traditional path, or are there any um, possibilities to get a junior pentesterol and then directly move into red teaming? Hmm, this is this is interesting. I do, I have somebody that I mentor also. She actually moved straight from marketing, so a business unit into blue te- uh, blue teaming, and she did it with passing her security plus in I want to say two weeks because she, yeah, it's impressive. She has no technical background and she was able to do it because she loves the whole idea of security so much that she said, "I'm going to do this." Passes the security plus in two exa- two weeks got her interview, passed her interview, and now is a full-time pen tester at a company. Uh, I won't say who or where it is, but uh, she, she's just so super impressive. But if you want to do something like this, and she kind of eventually wants to go to red teaming too, but it is possible. So um, if you want to start out to doing blue team, it, you're going to be a real special person like this uh, lady is, but you're going to want to really work hard for it, get some certs, get, do a boot camp, you know, take a lot of those free courses that you see online. Um, and then moving into red, sure, it's definitely possible. So for for those roles, things like uh, Hack the Box, um, Sans Holiday Challenge, uh, anything that shows that you have the technical competencies to do that red teaming, to do that pen testing, they'll help you get into those roles directly because that's what they're going to look for when you're interviewing. How do you dissect code? How do you find the vulnerabilities? Things like that. Yeah. Um, big comment here. Andrew Aiken says, by the way, I developed a web content data mining application back in 2007 that's collected 5.3 million job ads for comp sci, MIS, and IT graduates that extracts the skills employees are looking for. I recently refreshed the skills to include more directly related to cybersecurity. The data is available at www.dogs-it.org. I'm going there right after this session. Very interesting, totally free, very interesting data regarding which skills are increasing in frequency over the last two years. So that um, is seems to be a very powerful website. And then Andrew also asked, how has the pandemic impacted the hiring process for cybersecurity workers and the number of positions available? Well, anecdotally, I've, I've heard that it's basically been the same. I have talked to other recruiters, um, not for myself. I love my job, guys. Uh, um, But they're saying that it just depends on the industry. Like some industries are doing great, Um, like the the food food delivery services and stuff like that. Like they're fine. It's just you just have to know where to look. Um, So I think the net sum is the same. You're going to still have cybersecurity openings. There's still negative unemployment. Um, but unfortunately, again, those roles are hard to fill just because you're looking for that perfect unicorn, that purple sparkly unicorn um, that really doesn't exist. So uh, there's kind of two sides to that issue. There's that supply and demand issue. The demand is not asking for the right things. And maybe the supply also isn't stepping up and, and filling in the technical spaces that they need to fill in. Yeah. Spe- speaking of supply and demand, how do you produce? project or predict um, what skills are going to become hot so that you can get ahead of them? Yeah, that's a game I've never played, actually. Um, There's the core principles of information security. They're never going away. Confidentiality, integrity, availability, those are never going away. Privacy is actually a new huge thing. So if you don't really have a technical background and you want to get into security, privacy is a great way to get started. I know just recently privacy has been more of under the umbrella of information security. And personally, I've kind of appreciated it. But way in the past, like 10 years ago, it was completely separate. 
But um, if you want to, you know, look into getting to cyber a different way, you can always go through privacy is one way for sure. I think to me, that is one of the newer things out there. Yeah. Always yeah. cloud too. We had a chief privacy officer on um, Lydia Payne Johnson a couple of times, and she talks about that. And she actually came from a marketing background, has a JD, so she's an attorney, mm -hmm. and was talking about the various ways getting into privacy. Um, and so she she talks about that too. Like it's two sides of the same coin. Like privacy is on one hand and security on the other. So, um, and especially here in the U.S., you know, versus the EU, that had a she she talked about them having a very more stringent. Um, privacy privacy laws there that are kind of like trickling over here now. So um, yeah, definitely, definitely good point. So Tom says, what advice do you have for active duty military service members who want to use military tuition assistance to prepare for the post-military career and has five years left in the military? Uh, who does not, oh, he adds on, who does not have a technology career or background, is interested in security in general as a post-military career field, but does not know much beyond that? I would say see if you could get an MOS within um, your current active duty service. Uh, that way you will have the skills that you learn at least on the military side um, from what you're looking for. Plus they would provide you with a lot of the training that you would otherwise have to pay for or use your GI Bill for. Um, to, so first try within your role, like we would tell anyone on the commercial side. Um, ask within your company, see what you can do. Um, and then the other thing would be training. So figure out what vertical you want to go in and figure out what sort of trainings needed for that and start building yourself up ahead of time. Um, there's been several great in individuals from the military. Like we had, um, <clears throat> we had se several great guests from the military, like um, that have shown how the, analytical skills and the leadership skills that the military provide um, from that structure is amazing in the civilian sector. Chris Cochran, we had- Marcus, um, Marcus yeah. Carey. Yeah, Marcus Carey, like so many people, almost every, <laughs> I think there was an article that I posted that talked about how many people from the military have gone into, how many, there's 20 something percent or so, don't quote me, there's an article that I posted a couple months, maybe maybe six weeks ago, that said that uh, that percentage of CISOs, there's like 20% or so of CISOs that have military backgrounds are CISOs of Fortune 500 companies. Um, so the military is like the perfect place to you know transition into security. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see. This is from Gina King, I believe. Thank you for sharing your personal transformation. I'm interested in your ideas on how we can help fill all these open spots. It is obvious the current structure, the current structures are failing us. Yeah, it comes back to that supply and demand issue. And I, I would say the issue is more on the demand side. The, these companies who are asking, and Renee, I'd look to you if, uh, if this is completely false, but I would say the companies are just expecting too much. Um, so if there's a way as an industry to really push back, even from the side of the applicants, if you say, hey, these are unrealistic expectations. And, and if you were looking for somebody, let me help you out with your job description, because I'll tell you what, within our market, within my little region here, you're not going to find a lot of good people who do this thing. 
Um, and I'm sure recruiters can help with that too, because they're doing this every day. They're seeing um, if they're getting the right people for those first round interviews, or they're just seeing a bunch of resumes. You're like, these are not the things that we're looking for. So at least from the demand side, companies have to be more realistic. And then from the supply side, again, really do that self-reflection, learn all you can. Um, if you're just sitting there wallowing away about how you can't find a job in cybersecurity, you could be using that time to educate yourself and get better in other things. Um, if you have a real passion and curiosity for this stuff, there's nothing going to stop you except for yourself. And you can go out there and learn all you can um, and, and just drink this stuff in because you know you like this stuff when it's fun for you. When you start playing and you start thinking, this is the most amazing thing, um, that's the kind of passion and curiosity that I hire for. And I'm sure lots of other people in my position do too. Um, 100%. So almost every leader that we bring on here talks about the passion, the curiosity, like it's not a nine to five job, taking this stuff home. What are you doing when you're not like in front of the, in, in, in the, in the office, virtual office? Um, I just did air quotes around office. So uh, absolutely right in regards to that. Secondly, um, to what Naomi said earlier about like recruiters, we push back all the time. Some of it <laughs> tends to be a struggle. Um, and I think some, you know, some, again, I go back to recruiters who are not living and breathing this. They can't push back. They can't say because they don't have the confidence because they don't know. Um, you know, when you have been in the, when you've been in this space for a long time, you know, very seasoned recruiters will tell somebody that's not realistic in the marketplace, or there's only 200 people with this particular certification and that company pays 200,000 and your budget is 125. And Paul, <laughs> <laughs> we're not getting this. So we can, we can, you know, what, what are we going to do? Let's think through what, what do you really mean? Do you need this particular certification? Do you need these many years of experience? You know, so, um, you know, but I, I think that level of recruiters feel far between that has that kind of, uh, you know, seasoning that, that really understands the market and really understands what's going on out there to be able to tell these people, this is what the market is bearing. You know, we've been working on these positions over and over again. I remember a couple of years ago, I was doing incident response and they wanted to pay like the super cheap a company wants to pay like a little bit of money. I was like, I just placed four incident response people. Everybody was between 150 and 175. Like it's not happening for 110. It's not happening for 150, you know, whatever the number was. And so to be able to push that back and say, that's not happening. But I don't know how many other folks, you know, I know there's a handful of us at Leighton, Holcomb, and some other folks that are out here that we live and breathe this stuff. So we know what the market is bearing, in, especially in um, you know, specific skill sets and specific regions. Um, but it gets to be like tricky sometimes with, with everyone else. Um, and that's why sometimes they turn around and say, well, HR said, you know, or they went out there and they can't pull the spot and all this back and forth. Um, but I think that what you know like what what resonated with me for with Naomi's post is saying you know and I'm always curious about this too you know the budget part that's why we bring on the CEO CIOs and um I want to bring CFOs on and talk about this stuff like really understanding you know there's a there's a there's a perceived value for you know certain skill sets and um Sometimes with the budget, like you said earlier, Naomi, like, you know, you get this is the number that you get. <laughs> I got a, I got a headcount. The headcount is between 100 and 125 or whatever. I'm gonna try to squeeze as much as I can into that. Um, 
my big thing is trying to break those. I was I would employ people to break leaders, you know, to break it down. Like, see if you could get three people. See if you could get two junior people, you know, for that one amount that you could break the role into two and have like one person like dedicated to one thing and one person dedicated to another. I think that's how the, the open spots get filled. Um, that's just me. And then, and and I another thing, um, Gina is one of these things that I preach all the time, especially in the bigger companies, the larger companies that can afford to do this, is upskill, reskill. You have people. Naomi talks about this. You have a marketing person at once in. You have I was in HR wanted in. You know, you have people in internal audit that want in. There's so many people. If you look within your own company, you know, I mean, people that have reached out to me from like the Walmarts and the targets of the world that have cybersecurity degrees that are like, hey, we want to try to break in. They're in these big, huge behemoth organizations with security teams of 400. These people can move into that, can be trained, are inexpensive. You know, that's, that's, I mean, that's what I preach all the time. Hiring from within. That's going to yeah, be. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Hashtag Renee Smalls talks. Hire these people. Okay, so um, Amy says one thing I heard from this week from a hiring manager: I can teach someone the technical hard skills that they may like, but cannot teach the soft skills. It is everything Naomi was talking about. And Naomi, you have anything else to add? I, I would add to that. Yeah, I mean, I really, I, I agree with you, Amy. Soft skills are so hard to be taught. It, it's almost impossible. I, I kind of learn my soft skills by doing the opposite of what I've seen in security. Like, I guess I won't be like that jerk, you know? <laughs> um, but Amy's absolutely right. Uh, soft skills are hard to teach. And it really depends on the team. Like, I've, I've talked to somebody who's like, hey, I, I found the perfect security team. They're just like me. And I'm like, Oh, really? They're just like you. So uh, really like kind of mean and a little arrogant. Great. Go for it. And, you know, the whole team is like that. Maybe security isn't great within the company, but on the team itself, you're going to get along right really well with other people. Um, but I personally would rather work with someone who has those softer skills and is able to work with the business and make friends than someone who doesn't. Honestly, yeah. personal preference, though. And you mentioned earlier, you said earlier in your career, you were harder rougher to deal with um how did you learn your soft skills uh the hardest way possible I think. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Hard yeah so at vanguard i actually switched roles every couple of years i just jumped from i just wanted to learn different things and one of the stops was to learn soft skills so i actually joined a business unit and i was terrible i was god awful in the beginning i mean i came in from it so the first thing i would go into a meeting and be like so we're going to sit down and talk exactly about what we're going what i'm going to tell you to do <laughs> and we're going to do it this way and that's it so uh eventually actually i ended up getting like a poor like rated you know i had a year that just had a poor rating or something and i was like devastated i was like no i got a poor rating you know whatever it was like below expectations or something uh, and uh, it was embarrassing. It was just like, wow, no one should ever ever feel this way. Um, and, and coming from a background where I wanted to do well in school and just to be a people pleaser, I realized I was not good at people pleasing when it actually mattered. Um, I was actually very technical and I can get everything right. But when it came to subjective opinions and like things where we need to weigh everything and, and balance everyone's idea on certain um, issues, um, that's where I really struggled. So I learned it the hard way. I got that below expectations or whatever it was, and it, it devastated me. So I um, absolutely had to turn it around and just start. I opened my eyes and said, what am I doing wrong? Self-reflection, it worked. Wow. 
I wouldn't say I'm, I wouldn't say I'm great at it still, but uh, <laughs> I think I'm doing something right. I, I certainly am able to engage better with with people. I think that's so powerful to so people really understand, you know, going into that, taking that leap, getting that extra set of skills. It sounds like you did, um, I forget what, what did Nick Vigier say last week? He talked about um, career boxing, like he, he was looking for every- Time boxing. I'm sorry? Time boxing. Time boxing, yes. So every year and a half to two years, he moved around and he did it on purpose to get the skills. And you did that on purpose to get mm -hmm. the skills. And then, you know, was devastated at the end of that year and, you know, was able to turn it around. And people love to hear stories like that, because if you're in that position, you know, and you're trying to figure out how to get out of that, um, that's so very important. Building those skills is so, so important. So I really appreciate that. Yeah, no problem. I have plenty of failure stories if you'd like to hear them. <laughs> what? We is it really failures or just learning opportunities? Yeah, there you go. First attempt at learning, yeah. <laughs> so John Montgomery says... Um, uh he he makes a point to your earlier comment apply all over don't be afraid to fail all that is um it, all it is is a stepping stone a step ladder in the, to an open door so um i think he kind of summarized what we just talked about so george says do you think there are several angles to consider on the one hand companies don't want to hire for junior security roles because they feel the senior security roles should handle a lot more of the workload on the other hand companies outsource a lot of their security recruitment to hr companies who make the hiring requirements too stringent example a cissp five years experience for a junior role so i'll take on the hr piece george i think and i don't know if you were here for me to talk about this earlier but HR typically isn't the one adding on, typically, typically, because people ping me afterwards. I've said this before, and they said, well, my HR department says that they want it to look like this. Now, in the companies that most of the time that I've worked in, which have been mostly Fortune 500 and then some other smaller contract, government contractors, typically the role comes from the leader. They put in the security. They decide if they understand what the business is that they're supporting they know if it needs a security clearance they know what certifications they're looking for i would not be able to tell you how what a, if your role needs a cissp that's like me walking into a doctor and the doctor says i'm and i'm a recruiter of like medical professionals and the doctor says i need somebody with an md and i turn around and say no you don't you need somebody with an rn that's crazy so the, it, you know, it comes down to the HR in my in, in my experience, and I'm one individual. Uh, but it comes down typically with the leader saying they need these various things, and then it comes down to um, recruiters. Every once in a while, a recruiter will copy. If a leader does not have a job description or something, they'll pull something on from online. If they say the leader says, "Hey, I need a threat intel person," whatever, and then they'll pull a, a, a job description because a lot of these job descriptions tend to look alike, send it back to the leader and say, hey, is this something that you're looking for? And they might just rubber stamp it without really fully under looking and saying, wait, I don't need a CISSP. Wait, I don't need a security plan. You know, like I don't need all this stuff. That has happened. Um, so that's my piece with the, 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 HR, um, the HR components. Typically, especially if you're going to a recruitment company, they want to be as broad as possible. They don't want to have to look for people that have CISSPs and all these other things because it makes the search more difficult. So that's the piece from the recruitment side. So um, Naomi, you want to talk about the other, the angles? 
Oh, yeah, the angles. Um, I think part of it is when when there is a job opening on a security team, the security team is just going to want to hire people that are like them, that look like them, think like them, you know, kind of have the same ideas. So that's why first not getting a lot of diversity in thought because uh, everyone looks like you and thinks like you. Um, So, you know, really from the companies that are hiring, uh, we are having we are having this issue where you're not reaching out beyond your current network. You are not brave enough to go and look in other places. The security boot camps, for example, you are maintaining this elitist and false narrative that says you must look like us and think like us in order to join us. So it, before that, before any of that is fixed, we won't be able to make any changes to our, our hiring practices. Honestly, at least that's what I'm seeing from the company side. Um, and when I speak to junior level folks who are trying to get in, they're just so frustrated. They're like, I can't even get my foot in the door. And how do I do that? You know, beyond being the perfect unicorn where I, uh, you know, find malware only every other day, how am I supposed to get my foot in the door? And I, and I always tell them, you just have to keep trying, just apply and apply. Maybe one day you'll find that perfect company who doesn't expect the world from their junior level folks. And it is a challenge, um, unfortunately. And, and I think like Naomi mentioned, they they templatize the person that might be leaving or just left with the level of experience that they had leaving, not taking into consideration that they might have spent two or three years in the role and acquired a lot of those skills on the way. Um, but um, in line with what you're saying, Naomi, yeah, spread spread your recruiting. Go to things like uh, Diana Initiative instead of just going to Black Hat and DEF CON to recon. Um, for individuals, go to local meetups, go to B-sides, go to places that you haven't typically gone before. That way you can increase the diversity in your team. And look inside your own organization. Start (laughs) in your own backyard. Yep. Go to the administrative assistant. You know how many people, how many leaders I've spoken to who said, oh, my best analyst was the the, um, receptionist. My best analyst, I transitioned from being, you know, my administrative assistant because they have the attention to detail. They understand the speed. They understand all this stuff to, to um, I think it was Amy that made the point earlier. I can teach the technical skills. I can't teach somebody to be quick, to be, you know, responsive, to be this and that third. And it's not, every role is not that difficult. Every role does not need, you know, a, a, a brain surgeon. Every single okay. role does not need that. So that's what I would say. Yeah, it's elitist to keep thinking that we are better than everyone. Security folks are not any better than anyone else, guys. We are a service for the business, like I said. And if your next great hire is an administrative assistant and you overlook that person, well, that's your problem. You know, you missed a great hire and because you thought you were better than that person. Yeah, that's it. Um, This comment is great. I think companies removing the college degree requirement will help open more junior roles. I, I agree. Um, Naomi, you made a comment. I mean, you made a post. That's another one that went viral. It talks about a person who I think had military experience, had gotten through the process of interviewing, or maybe it was a, I don't think it was a, um, it might have might not have been a formal interview, but thought they were getting an offer and either the offer got reneged or they didn't get the offer because they had a college degree. No and college degree. Like, for the love of God, like you yeah. <laughs> Tell so I, I did do a little digging here. First of all, I'm sorry if I misspoke, but he's not a veteran. I just say veteran of security because okay. I use it loosely okay. as an expert in security. But uh, he didn't have a military background. But 
for this person in particular, he didn't have a college degree because he went straight from high school into the workforce. And he had been in the workforce for over 30 years. He led divisions of engineering in large companies. Uh, and then at the end of the day, when he went over and got his verbal offer and went back to HR, HR said, oh, we can't give you an offer because you don't have a college degree. And it shattered him. He had been looking, he had been unemployed for a few months then, and he has a family. And um, I, I ended up getting the story. It was because there's a contract involved. So the hiring contract that needed to be filled required a, con a college degree. It was part of the written contract. So uh, it, it just devastated him. And it devastated most of us just reading it. You're like, you're, I, I mean, you're kidding me. You're an expert in your field. You're an established leader. You have a great resume. What, what in the world is happening here? And it just makes you feel so vulnerable. You're like, why, why is this still happening? And I understand my privilege because I do have multiple degrees. And I understand my, what I can, I can, the reason why I can say this is because I have degrees. Um, but having those degrees haven't helped me really um, in my career. I, I learned electrical engineering and computer engineering in, in undergrad, and that doesn't really help me do the stuff I do today. So there's uh, just a way we need to self-reflect as an industry. Do we really need to maintain this elitist narrative that college is necessary for tech, for cyber? No, it's not. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And um, I think it goes hand in hand with a comment with uh, so many, you know, I posted yesterday about Google having like a six month boot camp. All tons of companies are just um, for most of their roles, especially the entry level tech roles, taking that out of the requirement, um, the college degree component. And I'm with you and I, I agree with you. I have a college degree. Chris has multiple degrees. Um, you know, I want to continue my education. I think most of us would. Um, but that should not prevent anyone with the skills, especially somebody like that. I mean, that's, to me, ridiculous. Um, however, I've come up against that before. I've had candidates, not not to the point of getting an offer, but had, had you know, amazing candidates that are um, the right fit, long, you know, long tenured, especially for roles that are very difficult to fill, go back to the leadership. And they have said stuff like, you know, compliance issues and, um, you know, what's in the contract, what's written in the contract and things like that. And it's really unfortunate. It really, really is because you have these seasoned people and, and that's specifically, you know, if you have 15, 20, 30 years of experience and you're seasoned and they're telling you a college degree is necessary, that's just ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Um, we're coming up on 12 o'clock. There's still tons of comments. I knew this was going to happen. Um, Naomi, I mean... <sighs> Chris, you want to ask your last question? I mean, I could sit here and talk to you for like another 20, yeah, no. two days. <laughs> I feel bad for anyone listening. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many questions and comments in here, but I know Chris, Chris has to jump. We, we only, you know, we're only here for an hour. We're at the 53 minute mark with tons of comments. So we have to bring you back. Promise you'll come back with us. Yeah, if you'll have um, me, I'm happy to, yeah. Or more engagement on LinkedIn too. Yeah, awesome. So, Chris, yeah. you want to ask? So, yeah, we've been here an hour. Um, how would you summarize all of the advice that you've given thus far into one piece of sage advice for someone looking to break into the industry? All right, junior folks. Okay, I've mentioned this before, but you are the only person stopping yourself and getting a job in security. Look at yourself, do some self reflection, and make yourself as good as possible. And uh, play, always learn through play. So build something, break something, integrate something. That's what I always tell people. 
make it so painfully obvious that this is your career choice for the rest of your life. And it's not just one of the stops that uh, maybe you'll have in a different, you know, like different life. Hey, I want to do something else. But um, show your passion, show your curiosity. Your hiring managers will notice because it's not every day that we see that. And sometimes we'll see it and say, that person has it. You can get your security plus in two weeks. You got it. You know, that's the kind of stuff we're looking for. So keep going, keep on keeping on and do as much as you can. And uh, it will come. All good things will come to you. Be the best Wonderful. you that you can be. I love it. That so I love cliche. that. Eve Owen said, truly a Hall of Fame show. This was very interesting, and I will double down on that. Great discussion. Um, Naomi, thank you so much for, for lending your time, your ear, your, your just valuable insight with us. Thanks, Ray. We really appreciate it, and we look forward to having you back on another edition of Breaking Into Cybersecurity. Yay, cool. Uh-huh. I'm happy to come anytime. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Renee, and awesome. thanks, everyone, for listening. Bye. 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 In the rapidly evolving world of cybersecurity, your business needs a guide that's as dynamic as the threats you face. CPF Coaching LLC delivers unparalleled expertise to elevate your cybersecurity startup or business with a decade and a half of specialized experience. We're not just advisors, we're your strategic partners in growth and risk mitigation. Our tailored advisory services range from immediate hourly guidance to comprehensive three or six month packages, all supported with encrypted messaging for real-time assistance. For more information, cpfcoaching.com is your destination. Forge a path to success and distinction in the cybersecurity landscape. Connect with CPF Coaching LLC today and secure your business's future.